This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening. You're with Lee Chui Lin and Sharmila Ganesan. Tonight, how to use AI in the workplace specifically what we can learn from Indonesia because they're really appearing to be leading the way when it comes to our region. So that's what we're going to start with. But we want to know, have you started using AI at work? Where do you see it being most helpful or most productive? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note or WhatsApp at our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. This is Inside Story. It is 6.08. So our story today comes from LinkedIn, actually, which found that Indonesians scored the highest in our region when it comes to adopting AI tools at work. This research was actually conducted by CensusWide, and the results are based on responses from 29,000 workers above 16 years of age globally. Globally is important to say because it's not just regionally, it's actually worldwide. So just to give you a sense of how the distribution might have been. Um, But... Based on this, um, Indonesia has already begun to integrate AI into day-to-day work. We'll give you more numbers on that shortly. But uh, just to give you a sense of how many people responded here, it's a fair amount. So uh, more than 6,000 people um, over half, more than 6,005 actually, uh, of the respondents were from Southeast Asia. And if we look at that, it's quite close. So Singapore was uh, over 2,000, Malaysia is 1,005 over... Uh, Malaysia, Philippines and Indonesia are all 1,005-ish. So... As we said, Indonesia is really leading in this regard. The respondents were asked whether they believed AI would significantly change the way they work. And Indonesia was the highest with 78% of them affirming this perspective, which isn't surprising if we take into account that Indonesia is also the highest when it comes to the adoption of AI, right? Because they'd be seeing the impact already. Um, Now, if we look at the Southeast Asian markets, the um, Indonesian employees, 72% are already using AI at work, whereas the comparison to Malaysia is actually quite stark. Malaysian, only 51%. I think it's interesting also to look at the companies that have actually planned for this um, that Mm. are more uh, holistically taking it into account. Um, So, for example, uh, respondents have said that they are... in terms of whether companies have already introduced guidelines or training plans to integrate AI, Indonesia is leading the way, 72%. Here, we're really far. Uh, Malaysia is actually mm. 48%. So it's like, you know, 20 odd percent behind Indonesia. And that's significant because it's one thing for individuals to just take it up on their own. It's quite another thing for companies to actually be trying to integrate it in a more holistic and more, um, I think, ongoing way, because that's also how you think about things like upskilling. And look at me trying to make a socio-cultural connection. I don't think it's a coincidence that... So so just to compare, Singapore and Malaysia are trailing behind when it comes to companies having guidelines or training plans for AI. But Singapore and Malaysia are also at the top of the list of employees being worried that they won't be able to keep up with AI developments at workplaces. Now, obviously, the research has asked specific questions, but I do feel like Actually, if you've not been given a guideline, if you've not been given training, then 
obvious people are going to feel more worried about what it means and and have a sense of uncertainty about how to use AI in the workplace. Uh, being able to talk to your boss also matters and Indonesians yes. are not afraid um, of talking to their bosses about how AI will impact their jobs. 96% said they were fine. Uh, meanwhile, everyone else here is actually not too bad except for Singapore, um, who sit at 77% in this list. Um, I also found, that, uh, found it significant that some people... F- a lot of people thought that it would level out the playing field when it came to education um, or how much education you have before you enter the workforce. I thought that that was interesting because that might have something to do with things like language. Um, Anyway, we will be discussing this in more detail with our guest, Andrew Pereira, who's the founder and CEO of Accelerate Asia. But we want to hear from you. Uh, Since Indonesia is leading the way, but we're not that far behind um, when it comes to using AI at work, have you started using AI in your work? Um, Where has it been most helpful or productive? Where do you see it being most helpful or productive? That number to call is 7733-2900. Send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. BFM 89.9, the business station. It is 6.13 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. We're talking today about AI in the workforce um, because Indonesia is kind of leading the way in our region when it comes to adopting it. And we wanted to hear from you. Have you started using AI at work? Where has it been or where do you see it being most helpful or productive? That number to call is 7733-2900. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Speaking with us now, we have uh, Andrew Pereira, founder and CEO of Accelerate Asia. Andrew, always a pleasure to have you with us. So firstly, let's look at the news that Indonesia has emerged as a leader in the adoption of AI tech in the workplace. What are the driving factors behind their success? What are they doing right? Yeah, so I I think some of it is them doing uh, things right, but I think more of it is actually about uh, circumstances, to be completely honest. So um, one one reason for this is that Indonesia is quite a dynamic, high-growth market. So you have lots of rapidly growing companies in a competitive environment where technology is often a, a differentiator between companies. Uh, and as a result, it's no surprise that, you know, the same study that you're referring to found that 72% of Indonesian companies already have guidelines and or training uh, related to integrating AI into, into work. The second reason is that it's it's a younger workforce, right? It's a significantly younger workforce, actually, compared to markets like uh, uh, Singapore and Malaysia. And if you think about that, having more workers who grew up in a digital world uh, and who view technology as an opportunity versus a threat, uh, that is only going to help the likelihood of uh, workers integrating AI into the workplace, right? So nearly 100% of the respondents of the survey that we're talking about here said that they were not afraid of talking to their bosses about integrating AI into their work. Uh, you know, They view it more as an invisible teammate than as a threat. Uh, those are probably the two reasons why Indonesia is on the foref- at the forefront of adoption of AI uh, in Southeast Asia, in my opinion. Okay. Malaysia, though, is last on the list, even though it seems like practically everyone here is talking about using AI for work in one way or another. What have you observed about how Malaysian workplaces are adopting AI? It's quite a diverse uh, uh, mixed bag, actually. So I think the first is you have a category of 
organizations that are uh, quite risk averse, um, uh, potentially even resistant to uh, incorporating AI uh, due to risks. And we can talk about that a bit later. Um, you have a second category of people, of organizations rather, who are open to AI, but are uh, adapting more of a wait and see type approach. Um, and then you have a third category uh, that are wholly embracing it, you know, encouraging employees to use it, uh, see the benefits uh, to employees and to the business, uh, and are driving towards those benefits. So that, those are the three large uh, categories. So I imagine that some industries might benefit from using AI more than others. What are the specific workplaces that would thrive with this adoption of AI? Yeah, you would be right. There are differences. So the research shows, and, and there's research done by the McKinsey Global Institute um, over the last few months about this, that the industries that are most likely to benefit or that will see the greatest amount of, uh, of value creation from the adoption of AI are industries like manufacturing, uh, technology, uh, banking, uh, and retail. Uh, sorry, not just banking, but financial services more broadly in retail. Uh, and there they they see, they predict that uh, the adoption of AI could raise operating profits by as much as 30 to 40%, which is a significant jump uh, in these industries. And the functions which have the highest potential for uh, leveraging AI are marketing and sales. So things like uh, using AI, uh, generative AI for content generation um, in marketing, uh, in areas like product development, where you can conduct uh, user research uh, and trends analysis a lot more easily, uh, and in operations, so things like the incorporation of chatbots into customer service. Uh, so those are functions that have the highest potential. However, um, highest potential doesn't mean highest adoption rate. So if you look at the industries that have the highest adoption rates of AI, um, manufacturing and retail are not among uh, the highest, right? Uh, and that's probably because of the investments that are required uh, in this space. Uh, and even for financial services, only 8% of respondents around the world are saying that they use AI regularly uh, at work. Uh, and this could be related to uh, the risks involved with uh, uh, using AI when it comes to sensitive data. So besides that, or, or rather some of the stuff you've, you've started talking about already, why might workplaces be hesitant? What are some of the roadblocks? Uh, there's Again, there's actually quite a bit of research into this. So um, the, the number one reason uh, that is given based on uh, this study that was done by uh, Quantum Black, uh, about 56% of uh, respondents around the world said that the worries around inaccuracy uh, and potentially bias uh, is the number one reason why companies are uh, uh, resistant or, or uh, more wary of adopting AI. Uh, and this is because as good as AI is, I mean, it seems positively magical um, to us, uh, you know, things like ChatGPT, um, but it is often inaccurate, right? And it is inaccurate, but in a very confident, compelling way, and you can't really tell, uh, uh, you know, what what the the level of confidence actually is in the in the answers that are provided. There are also risks around security, um, intellectual property issues. So you. The, uh, the algorithm might be uh, copying uh, 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 someone else's intellectual property. There are compliance issues uh, as well. Um, but you know, aside from the risks um, to adoption, there are also, uh, there are also internal factors that drive um, uh, limited adoption of AI. 
And based on research uh, that has been conducted uh, in the US actually, um, strategy, so the lack of a cohesive strategy, corporate strategy, and the lack of talent, frankly. So a lack of people who understand what AI is about, how to use it, um, that those two are the biggest reasons for not adopting AI uh, at the workplace. So collectively, they drive about 40% of, um, uh, you know, 40% of respondents say those are the biggest challenges, actually, uh, that companies face in adopting AI. So can you share any uh, specific examples of the ways that the integration of AI have resulted in significant breakthroughs and improvements in workplaces? Sure. There are quite a number. Um, I think your listeners might be familiar with the use of tools like uh, ChatGPT to generate content or at least generate the first draft of uh, of content, um, you know, that in people like marketeers, for instance, would be able to review afterwards and incorporate into things like ads. Um, and that's something that's actually completely transforming um, the approach to content generation, um, especially in the marketing space. Um, you know, some examples that might be uh, less common, uh, you know, here in Accelerate, uh, the organization that, that I work with, we, used, we started using generative AI to develop um, our learning content. Um, things like assessments um, uh, for courses, um, and that's cut down um, the uh, the time it takes to actually develop this content by a half in some instances. Um, so that's really been helpful. There are other companies out there um, that are using AI in workplaces to drive safety. Uh, so for instance, there's a company called OneTrack out there that has these cameras that scan factory floors for safety risks. Um, uh, you know, things like boxes that are nearly falling off shelves, um, you know, or equipment that's in the wrong place. Uh, it's seven times more likely uh, uh, to identify risk, seven times more accurate uh, than human beings uh, uh, looking at the same cameras. So, um, you know, that's just one example. You know, these are just a few examples of how AI is used to improve uh, effectiveness and efficiency in the workplace and also keep workers safer. So on the flip side, there is also a lot of anxiety around AI bringing new challenges or even potentially replacing employees. So as an employer, how should the conversation on AI's impact on their employees' jobs be done? What's important for them to discuss and to highlight? Yeah, so I think even the research that we started off this conversation with found that uh, about 43% of uh, Malaysians were uh, worried about AI impacting their jobs Um, And they have reason to be worried, um, if I'm being completely honest. Um, About 40 to 70% of the total economic potential um, that AI could generate um, will come from worker productivity based on uh, economists' uh, estimates, right? Um, Versus uh, using AI in new use cases. This is a euphemism basically for uh, workers will just have to do less or we we will be able to make do with fewer workers, right? Um, and, you know, if you look at the research, uh, again, done by consultants around the world uh, with uh, think tanks, um, about 40% of companies globally, uh, large companies specifically, um, expect that uh, over 20% of their workforces will need to be reskilled or redeployed, again, a euphemism, um, over the next few years as a result of uh, AI. Um, and this is going to affect not just, um, uh, you know, I think in, in previous uh, waves of automation uh, and adoption of new technologies, this largely addressed uh, affected only 
um, less skilled workers. But uh, here we are finding that, uh, you know, according to some of the studies, people with advanced degrees um, may find 20 to 40% of the work that they did in the past uh, automated away. Um, so this affects everyone. Now, um, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, obviously, there are, uh, you know, there are new jobs, new skills that are emerging as a result of AI. Um, it can also be a, a tool that will improve our productivity so that we can focus our time more on the problems that really matter. And there is research that shows that uh, AI in the workplace might actually make you happier. So there's research by uh, CNBC in the US, again, that finds that uh, those people who work at companies where AI is used regularly report being happier, they report their work feeling more meaningful. Um, they report um, that they are more satisfied with their career paths. And this is the kicker, 50% of them said they're more likely that they are that they, they find themselves well-paid. 50% uh, more likely to report that they're well-paid uh, in these jobs versus jobs where they don't use AI on a regular basis. So uh, it's not all doom and gloom. We're speaking today with Andrew Pereira, founder and CEO of Accelerate Asia, about uh, AI in the workforce, because let's face it, this is something that we're going to be talking about for quite some time. And um, the main thing today, though, is the learning that Indonesia in our region appears to be paving the way for, for many of us, appear to be you know more receptive um, or already, in fact, including more AI in their work. And so we want to hear from you. Um, have you started using AI at work? Where do you see it being most helpful or productive? That number to call is 7733-2900. Send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. It is 6.37 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. And today we're talking about AI in the workplace. Returning to this topic because actually um, it turns out that Indonesia is kind of... Um, beating us. <laughs> um, or rather, Indonesia is leading the way in the region when it comes to adopting AI tools at work. And uh, this was based on a recent survey. And so we thought we'd take the opportunity to talk about what we can learn from them, but then also hear from you. Have you started using AI at work? Where do you see it being most helpful or productive? Um, actually, especially interested to know if your company has actually put it in place. That number to call is 7733 Send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. So where we left off, we were talking about um, anxiety, right, that can come up with AI, this notion that people might get replaced. Um, but there are other concerns because the survey also found that Singapore scored the highest for countries that are worried they won't be able to keep up with AI developments. Um, Andrew, who is our guest, by the way, Andrew Pereira, founder and CEO of Accelerate Asia. Um, Andrew, could you talk to us about what systems are needed to ensure that employees uh, get the best training ground to learn how to use AI in the workplace? Absolutely. Um, beyond you know, the simple answer that there needs to be investment in learning and development for employees uh, uh, in this space, I think um, there, are, there are two things that are very important for employees to learn. I think the first is that um, there need to be new uh, uh, new programs, new learning uh, uh, when it comes to AI, especially as it relates to new use cases, right? 
So these are where AI is used to do something entirely new that we couldn't do in the past, right? And right now, frankly, a lot of those learning programs don't exist um, or they exist uh, outside Malaysia and haven't really found their way to Malaysia yet. So that's one thing that definitely needs to happen. The second is that a, a much bigger impact of AI is not so much the use of AI to do new things, but to do old things better, right? And that means that we will need to revise existing learning programs and curricula and courses, et cetera, um, to incorporate AI, uh, AI's use uh, in, in, in doing things, uh, old things. So I'll give you an example over here. Um, let's take software engineering. One great use case for uh, of, of AI is actually the use of large language models uh, like ChatGPT uh, to uh, debug code, right? So to actually um, you know scroll, uh, crawl through code and find out where the the errors are and the issues are with it. Um, that is something that software engineers of the future and software engineers today, frankly, uh, need to start learning about. How do you actually use AI to help you in your job uh, of uh, uh, writing code? Um, that's just one example of how uh, training needs to adapt. So you make a great case for the um, help that it brings, but one of the concerns around the increasing use of AI, especially in multiple capacities, is that the output might become flat, it might lack a personal approach. What are the ways that companies can balance the use of AI with the need to have that human touch? Um, I would actually argue the opposite. It might actually improve to uh, improve the experience of, of, of customers and clients. And I'll, I'll say why. Uh, AI allows for hyper-personalization, right? Um, so recommendations, uh, pitches, et cetera, that are catered specifically for you as an individual. So imagine a world where uh, advertisements, um, even the uh, pitches when it comes to specific products are tailored specifically to you, the person who is at the receiving end of those messages. So no uh, no one, no two people get the same message, right? That hyper-personalization arguably is even more human um, and uh, more personal. Uh, so uh, yes, I, I get the concerns about there lacking, a uh, there being less of a human touch, um, but the uh, possibility of of and and the opportunity that comes with hyper personalization uh, might mitigate that risk. And whenever we do talk about AI in workplaces, as we do now, there's also the question of how to navigate ethical considerations, especially when it comes to creating authentic or original content. How should we think about this notion of originality and what it means exactly to create brand new ideas? That's a really good question, um, and one that people much smarter than me uh, are probably thinking about. I think um, I, when we talk about originality, what what truly is original, right, um, is is a question. Uh, even we as human beings, and you know whether we're creative artists um, uh, or the like, um, we are often uh, what we consider to be novel creations of our own are actually uh, built upon things from the past, right? So we as human beings, we're already a little bit like these AI algorithms uh, scouring the past and um, you know learning from the past to create things uh, in the future. Um, so where do you draw the line? I do not know. Um, that is something for philosophers and uh, for lawyers to figure out. Um, but there are serious concerns around uh, ethics. 
Um, and there are serious concerns around um, intellectual property uh, uh, when it comes to uh, content, especially content that has been created in the past uh, and is now being um, uh, uh, swallowed up by these algorithms uh, that are generating new content. Andrew, what final message would you like to leave us with? The final message is that this is probably not the final message. We're going to we're going to continue having this conversation. I think in the coming uh, months and years, uh, this is an example of AI has been around for a long time. Um, uh, it, this is nothing new, but uh, the emergence of large language models have uh, made AI more accessible um, to organizations and to individuals um, and more human-like. Uh, and we're going to continue having conversations about its adoption, its risks, its benefits uh, for years to come. Uh, so be prepared. Andrew, thanks for speaking with us. That was Andrew Pereira, founder of uh, Accelerate Asia, also its CEO, talking to us about AI in the workplace. Um, and we're asking you, have you started using AI at work? Where do you see it being most helpful or perhaps most productive? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Business, finance, and music. BFM 89.9. It is 6.46 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. And we are talking today about artificial intelligence at work. And this is coming because a recent survey found that Indonesia is leading the way in our region when it comes to adopting AI in the workplace. And that had us thinking, how are we doing, really, on the ground? You know, what are things like at the moment where you work? So tell us, um, have you started using AI at work? Where do you see it being most helpful? That number to call, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Let's get Rose message out of the way, right? Because I think I think I think it's going to derail the conversation, but I do think it's hilarious. Um, so we found in the in the survey, of course, that Singapore was also slow in adopting AI. Rose says, I think there's a slight confusion with Singapore's apparent slow adoption of AI. With our neighbors being fairly robotic by nature, it's difficult to tell when a robot has actually taken over. Yeah, um, I. Res- re- really kind of had to hold back a lot um, on, on the, the premise of Singapore's numbers in the survey. But there is no need to be needlessly mean to our neighbour. Uh, this is, however, not just a good joke, but a possible premise for a mini-series, I feel. I yeah, more than more than whether we want to be insulting people. I think I I think that that seems like a really interesting movie that I would kind of watch. Totally dystopian, but yes. Um, a few people talking about the difficulties. Let Let's go through that before uh, we get to the folks who are actually using it. Um, so Isa says, I think we in Malaysian companies are still trying to figure out how to fully utilize natural intelligence or the lack thereof. <laughs> um, you know, Isa. I, I know that's a bit of a dig, but I also think that it's a fair point that when I think the companies that are struggling to even just put in place training or um, processes will also be the ones that find it difficult to figure out how to harness AI properly, because you do need to have a, a clear vision for what you want to do with it. Uh, so I view it slightly differently, which is that in theory, um, 
in theory, AI should help you harness more of your uh, quote-unquote natural intelligence. In other words, um, it should be freeing up time. Uh, that's what people say, right? That that um, by right, what it should be doing is freeing you up from the tasks that would ordinarily have taken you an, an inordinately long amount of time, but that didn't necessarily have a lot of output, and free you up to do other things. So, I mean... Again, all of this is theoretical if you're not working in a company that's already put it in place, but that should be how it works. So I think we're actually coming at it. So you're talking about individuals and time saving, and I actually completely agree. I do think, though, that there is a need for workplaces to decide what they want to do, because otherwise you're having people just on their own doing things which might be helpful for them, but might not necessarily fit with the larger direction that the company wants to go in or even really helping their teammates because sometimes you can take shortcuts with your work that doesn't necessarily help anybody else. True. Uh, we also have David who says, last week I read that AI was making hate, uh, was making hiring much more difficult as um, unqualified applicants were using it to craft very good looking CVs. So I agree with this, David, but how different is it really from people who get other people to write their cover letters or to tweak their CVs? And then when they can't turn up for the interview, you realize, well, this is probably not the same person. Um, so I see why it's frustrating when you're suddenly inundated with a thousand really well-written CVs. But I feel like that's I don't know that that's necessarily going to end up in people being hired because of it. Uh I also think that actually this is something that uh, increasingly as AI becomes more common, um, there's also there's also a way to recognize, right? AI um, in yes. writing in, in the same way that you can recognize AI. Well, for now anyway. For now, for now, yes. Yeah. Um, but there's also a way that you can recognize AI in um, image generation. And it's very hard to describe. Um, but I think that if you've read enough of what AI produces, even, even after a few iterations, even after somebody's prompted it quite a number of times, um, there is a certain like polish, but also weirdness and sameness. I, I think that's the, the way I think about it, um, that results results in it being um, recognizably so? Um, no, I completely agree, um, especially when I see these days things like social media posts. Um, and because I've tried experimenting with uh, chat GPT and so on to craft social media posts, I, I can tell quite quickly um, when one is because there's certain, you're right, sameness to what it spits out. Now to the people who are using it. Um, again, mm. we're talking about AI at work and we want to know, have you started using AI in your workplace? Um, where has it been most helpful? That number to call, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note to 018-789-8899. Same number to WhatsApp. Uh, and of course, you can always tweet us at BFM Radio. So um, of course, I think we were going to hear from ChatGPT well, not from, but from ChatGPT users. Um, Stephen says, I use it for proofreading or even to rephrase my sentences to make them sound more formal. Uh, KW says, I was asked to write articles by my boss um, and that's way above my pay grade. And guess what? ChatGPT saved the day. Those are two such contrasting messages that ultimately make the same point. Stephen, actually, I think that's such a um, that's that's spot on. One of the things that I um, find things like ChatGPT super helpful for, right? The sort of monotonous, time-consuming tasks that you can now outsource to something that is more reliable. I'm curious if you want to get back in touch. Um, how much? 
going over or post-checking you find yourself having to do? Because that's one of the things people talk about, that you do need to check the work. Sometimes it's not always as good as you think it might be. Uh, Luke, by the way, just briefly, is here to say, I think it's called the Uncanny Valley. And um, I think the Uncanny Valley reference, of course, is... um, is particularly to do with realistic depictions. Visuals, of, right? Yeah, visuals yeah. of faces and so on. Mm. Um, and people use it to talk about, well, all sorts of things, lots of films and shows. Um, I wonder whether there is an uncanny valley in the written word, right? Because with with um, visuals, you can often tell it's the eyes. It's like the Polar Express Tom Hanks eyes. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're, they're not quite human. Or like a smile that is just a tad too wide. Yes, there, there are little things like that. Um, and it's why something like a C-3PO or an R2-D2 doesn't trip it up because it's not meant to look like a human per se. It's it's when it's supposed to mimic that. Um, written word, though, is interesting, whether we would still call it the Uncanny Valley, whether it's the same thing. Maybe not, although that that sort of weird sameness is something that that always kind of scratches at my head. But I think it's different mostly because there isn't there isn't an objective like this is what a human rights like. It can affect it can be affected by um, language capability, your level of communication skills, whereas this is how a person looks is fairly objective. It's locked in uh, for yes. most of our brains. Keep those thoughts coming. We'd like to hear from you. Have you started using AI at work? Um, or oh, actually in life, but you know, um, at work in particular. And where has it been most helpful? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Because freedom matters. BFM. 89.9. It is 7.08 and this is Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. Or is it spooky? Or <laughs> Sorry, I realise um, with this being close to Halloween and all, that it might sound like I'm trying to do a possessed thing when actually what I was trying to get at was an AI voice thing. That this is this is the first show we've done on AI where someone hasn't messaged in to ask, when will you be replaced by AI? And now you've just invited it. Uh, actually not invited it. I got there first. So, <laughs> so it's not too bad. Um, because really what it is, is AI would not have made that mistake. So we want to know, um, let, let me explain. Uh, we started off our show today. There's no real reason to kind of ex- over explain why we're talking about AI in the workplace. It's a huge conversation. But LinkedIn recently released a survey that found that at least in our region, Indonesia scored the highest when it comes to adopting AI tools at work. We're not far behind, um, but they kind of topped it in... Uh, many aspects, whether they believed AI would change the way they work, um, how many of them are already adopting AI tools in the workplace, how many companies have already integrated AI. So it's all those kinds of uh, metrics that we're talking about. And we wanted to know from you, have you started using AI at work? Where has it been helpful? You can call 7733-2900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, Oh, we have a voice note actually that came in from Ashley. Hi, I recently used an AI tool to write an Instagram caption for some feelings that I had, but I didn't really know how to put into words. And seeing what the AI had written based on what I told it, um, that I wanted it to be a bit more sentimental and poignant. And the way it delivered was 
kind of heartwarming and also really awe-inspiring. Um, it is very freaky, kind of, if you are more specific, you can get it to act more human. Uh, but essentially, I found it to be a really great tool. Ashley, thank you for that. Um, that That's... I love that. Um, I love that partly because of um, your exact sentence of feelings I had but didn't know how to put into words because that actually is a very human thing. That happens to us often. And I think having a tool to help you out with that is helpful. It's great. Yes, and, and I found it really interesting as well that it sounds like this was a personal endeavor, actually, and not a work-related thing, which is interesting because um, it really just comes down to what we need assistance with when it comes to something we're trying to do, right? I mean, we keep hearing again and again that AI is a tool. And in this case, perhaps if at the moment you're not feeling extremely capable of crafting sentences, then it becomes a tool that you can use to do that. Um, SR actually is... SR is um, my hero. <laughs> SR is, has given me so many ideas, to be honest. So SR goes, I use AI almost daily. From silly questions like how should I respond to an angry email to bigger purposes like troubleshooting my codes and even approaches to project management. I really find it helpful when I need a structured approach to things, especially when I don't know where to start or what to do. Haha. <laughs> oh my gosh, how should I respond to an angry email Using AI for that is, to me anyway, a revolutionary idea. Yes, yes, because um, <laughs> it's it's taking. There's no emotional burden that you're placing on anybody or anything, right? Essentially, if you're stressed out about some sort of workplace communication or whatever it might be, just displace it onto an AI. And not trauma dump onto a friend or colleague. This is what I'm saying. But Gosh. Um, the other thing that I I love SR is you saying that I I find it helpful when I need a structured approach to things, especially when I don't know where to start or what to do. Because um, the thing is, right, I, I'm, I'm thinking about how in college, um, in high school, well, in secondary school as well, and then in college, when you start trying to do more uh, creative or more um, work where you're generating something as opposed to regurgitating something, they often put you in groups. And I think that there's a very clear reason mm. for that because um, it, it's it's supposed to be the pathway to independence, right? To you being able to write, I don't know, a thesis on your own. But before you get there, you need the structure of a group, something like that, or um, you need the structure of a specific project. And that's how you first learn to start thinking differently, to start coming up with ideas. And then as we grow older and more independent, we don't always have that structure. And you don't always have somebody sitting next to you that you can turn to and say, I'm sorry, can I just run some ideas past you can I do that um, and having like a constant assistant to do that for you is a, another great idea SR really this is just smart I, I don't know if other people have thought of this maybe everyone's doing it but I never have and it's really smart so speaking of creative, actually, Hairi um, is sharing a personal experience, which I thought was very cool. Um, so Hairi says, I used AI a lot for my, I've used AI a lot for my side project, making card games. I use them in various ranging, uh, various things ranging from generating art uh, for prototype stages, which I trained it as a model to imitate my artwork. Researching, for example, my game, Alkisa, regarding folklore, I feel it's okay to ask stupid, silly questions and also helping me correct and improve my language 
hackered grammar for the rule book, for card effects, and so on. AI to me isn't a replacement of what I'm doing. It's sort of more like a shortcut to me. I also think it's inevitable that technology will be mainstream sooner or later, just like back when it was 3D animation was emerging, 2D artists who refused to transition will become obsolete. Um, again, such a great example. And how cool, side project making card games. Uh, just in general, so interesting. Well, firstly, I'm going to look up the card game, Hairi. Um, But, you know, all of those things that you've just said, and particularly the point about AI isn't a replacement for what I'm doing. It's a shortcut. I think those who are excited and, and supportive of that idea, that's exactly what they're saying. That it just helps me... Um, do more quickly the thing that I already do. Can I sound like an old person? Of course you can. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> no, because I, I think um, one of the things I do wonder about, though, is the difference between people who are using it, who have um, kind of basic skills already in the things that they're now using an AI to do quicker um, in comparison to somebody who's coming up in the workplace or in school and is using AI as a shortcut from the very beginning. And I... Um, I've spoken about this before and heard from guests, including educators, so really who am I to say, um, who points out that people learn differently. It doesn't mean that they will stop learning things. Um, mm. But I think it's just the comparison to how you might not know how to find your way across five kilometres anymore around your house because you use ways. Um, that wasn't meant as a personal attack, Sharmila. I, I recognise how it sounds. Um, <laughs> It is me, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I was maybe talking about you a little bit. Sorry. Um, no, but it, it's things like that. Um, it's also the fact that um, listening to Hairi talk about the the typing mm. or, or rather the doing away of the grammar makes me think about things like autocorrect and how typists used to have to type, um, you know, and correct things with liquid paper or with whatever. And, and now there's so many things that we just don't do anymore because the computer does it for us. It's not necessarily AI, but it's all these small things that make things simpler. So I've thought about this a lot because, right, to get to where Hairi is, to recognise that the output, the artwork, for instance, that um, the AI generative tool is giving you is good, how do you first learn what's good? You know what I mean? So in our line of work, for instance, we've experimented with using AI for interview questions or ideas. Um, and, and by and large, we've often felt, oh, there's something here, but I wouldn't use these wholesale because they're kind of basic and, and they seem very, um, very 101, right? Now, if you never worked on questions yourself, how do you get to the point of recognizing these questions are 101? So I do think there's something about when you're new and you're up and coming to have to learn some things yourself and then being able to use AI in a way that elevates your work. At least that's where I'm at right now. Maybe all of this won't matter in five years when anyway, ChatGPT is more capable of doing something than most of us are. Mm, it's the recognition of quality, I think, mm. um, which also can only come from recognizing when your work lacked quality. Because if you yes. can't self-recognize, um, you might not be able to be best placed for it, um, especially if what you're using it for is writing and grammar. Um, and so you're just grateful that the thing came back with good grammar. Um, it might mean that you are not necessarily scanning it for quality in the same way. So, so there are like and not improving your own grammar by uh, through learning by mistake, also. Yes, but then people will argue I don't need to improve my grammar yes. anymore because I have this. Uh, okay, we'll come back for more messages. Let us know: Have you started using AI at work? Where has it been most helpful? Uh, you can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at PFM. Radio. 
bringing fresh meaning. BFM 89.9. It's 7.19 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. We are talking today about artificial intelligence and its use in the workforce um, and asking you, have you used, have you been using AI at work and for what? Um, has it been helpful? That number to call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. So, I wanted to look at this message that actually is talking about Indonesia's um, prominence in the survey because Kamar Nizam says, if AI in the survey means chat GPT discussion, writing, making documents, then I think we're not far behind at all. The real use of AI uh, would be in data analysis, decision-making, automation of works. If they're ahead in this area, then it counts. I So I think, mm, so that's interesting, right? I think the the a little bit of a challenge here is that we maybe don't know what we don't know. My my knowledge of uh, the use of AI in the workplace is certainly limited by the things I might use it for. Whereas earlier when we heard our guest Andrew Pereira talk about, for instance, within manufacturing, um, the sort of use that it can get uh, that it can get. I wonder whether we are each respectively limited, uh, limited. <laughs> See again, ChatGPT would make that mistake. Um, limited by um, what we know and how we use it. Um, but I, I think that's a fair point. That um, what it means to adopt AI um, is also something that we need to be talking about. So I don't know if I agree that ChatGPT um, writing, making documents is not um, counted as yes. being ahead. I, um, so I return to this, right? Um, we Today we're talking about it on an individual basis because I don't know how many people want to call in and share trade secrets about what their company is doing <laughs> uh, in terms of AI. But um, if, if you look at the... If you look at what the survey found, right, I appreciated one distinction that they made, which was specifically whether their companies have already introduced guidelines or training plans to integrate AI into day-to-day work. And in that area, we are very far behind. So Indonesia is 72 and Malaysia is 48%. Singapore is further, 46 Um, So I think, Cameron, maybe we look at that as the benchmark because then we're not limiting what we mean by AI. Um, we are only saying, regardless of what industry you're in, has your company actually started thinking properly about mm. how they're going to put in AI? And in Malaysia, at least, it's less than half. Yes, Perhaps unsurprisingly, um, a couple of people coming through to talk about how they use it. Abi says, I'm a programmer. I use GitHub Copilot, which helps me code anything by just giving scenarios in comments. Uh, Alan, meanwhile, says, we're using it for our coding needs, which includes the explanation of codes written by other developers and converting it to human understandable texts fascinating. Um, Not human understandable to me because I don't code, but I I love the idea of it making um, coding simpler. I've read about it. I just lack the understanding to to understand um, what it is that they're talking about. But I I get it, right? If you're looking at lines and lines and lines of code, um, I'm assuming having something to help you is just Good. Um, Pam says, I use ChatGPT to suggest recipes and ingredients for my weekly meal prep. Uh, I also use AI to produce timelines for website projects. And when I have a tricky situation where I can't speak openly to colleagues, I use pi.ai for validation of my thought process and copy.ai to discuss the possible work scenarios. 
<laughs> okay, I initially thought Pam might be just making a pun because I wasn't sure whether those um, that those tools really existed. But I'm so fascinated. I will say I also use. Uh, well, specifically Copilot to look for recipes and ingredients for my meals. Um, particularly when I'm doing the whole, I have this, this, and this in my fridge. What can I make in the next few days? And and I found that it's also really good at working out a meal plan and you can customize it to any degree. So that's certainly um, not just workplace, in life. I'm looking at pi.ai or, or pi. I'm not, not sure how I'm supposed to be pronouncing it right now. And it's interesting because um, I think the, I'm, I'm just talking about generative like chat GPT let's just use that as an example and how frequently um, it functions on our prompts right we prompt it it creates something but what this does is asks you questions I see. Yeah, I can, so I can see myself um, falling down this rabbit hole after work today. Ah, uh, so it, it's asking me exactly that. How's your day going? I said right. um, I asked it back because I, I was unwilling to reveal information. Um, but it it continues to ask questions and prompts. So I can see, okay. Pam, what you mean by using it to validate a thought process. Which is so interesting to me because I wonder whether sometimes, again, to go back to, um, I can't remember who was talking earlier and, and you know, we were talking about um, discussing, oh, the angry email message, uh, SR, um, whether sometimes just having a neutral party unrelated to your problems could be helpful. Truly neutral. Yeah. No emotions. As of now, uh, you can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.